one of the things that Chris said last week, and I thought was rather interesting, he said this. He said, look, you know, in the media, it's all about presentation, style, the jib of the suit, the sound bites. Does he speak well? So it's all external. But God doesn't see, look like that. God doesn't look at a person in those type of terms. He's not interested in terms of what the media would like to present to us. You know, Mr. So-and-so X, Mr. So-and-so Y out of 10. God's not looking like that. In fact, this is what he said. The Lord does not look at things as man looks at things. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We've gone too far ahead. I haven't started yet. <laughs> go back, go back. So, we, the reality is this, that we need to look at leadership in a different way to what the world presents leadership as. Character comes before content. Content comes before charisma. Yeah? It's character comes first, then content, then charisma. We have a world that's all about the outward. It's all about the presentation. It's all about the style. But God's not interested in that. Now, we're going to look at Israel's second king, David. Now, David was just a shepherd boy. And he was the son of a Bethlehemite named Jesse. However, this shepherd boy became Israel's greatest king. And in fact, he reigned in Israel for 33 years. And such was his prowess that he became the greatest, well, the nation under his leadership became the greatest political, economic, and spiritual power of its time. It's fair to say that David will be the king by which every other king is measured. He's the benchmark. He's the man. So what principles can we learn from David? Now, the challenge is with David, if you take time to read 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, there's a whole load of information. You know, I came to, the, came to this and I said, why did I get David? This is intimidating. There's so much information there. So this morning, by God's grace, I'm just going to try and pick out maybe five things. Because this is the man that God said, this Instead of David, this is the man after my own heart. That's what God had to say about David. That was his commentary on it. So we're going to look at maybe five principles this morning from David's like. And as I said, there are many, many more. Please take the time to go away and read. Now, the notes will be posted somewhere that you'll be able to pick up and have a look at. Take time to read it because this morning I'm not going to do it justice. You'll need to go away and read yourself about David and his life in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Anyway, five principles, five things that leaders have. Leaders have passion. Leaders gather people. Leaders draw strength and direction from their relationship with God. Leaders learn how to wait for God's timing. And leaders learn to walk in openness and transparency with God. So let's just go at this now. So, leaders have passion. Now, it's first story. 1 Samuel, chapter 17, 45. Here's the background. Israel are up against their sworn enemy, the Philistines. Saul is leading the army, 
And what happens is the Philistine's champion comes out, Goliath. I'll give you the background before I read this bit. And Goliath taunts the armies of Israel. And David now, he's been sent by his dad to bring some provisions for the lads. Particularly his, you know, his own sons. So David's kind of skipping along and he hears this taunting and he's thinking, what's going on with you guys? Don't you hear what that guy's saying? And everybody said, look, uh, you are a young boy. What are you talking about? Go back home. Look after those sheep. So David gets all stirred up. And ultimately what happens is that Saul says, all right, then son, you want to have a go at him? Have a pop? All right. Here's the armor. He says, I can't handle this stuff, but I'm going to go and face him. And this is where we pick it up now. So David now comes down to meet the Philistine. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. The Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. That all the world might know there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or by spear, but, but, but that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and it struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Now here's the thing. When I read this, you see, I always get stirred up. If you don't, I don't know why. I mean, there it is. You know, it's one of those great moments in the history of Israel. You know, David comes down and of course the Philistine saying, am I a dog that you have given me sticks that I should play with you? And David says, yeah, come here. I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to say, let you know and understand this. That there is a God in heaven who you don't know about. And all the ends of the earth are going to know about him through what's going to happen today. So that the people over there who are the Israelites might stop quaking in their boots. And understand there is a God in heaven. So, leaders have passion for God's name. David reveals the grand narrative of the Bible. You know what the grand narrative of the Bible is? That all the ends of the earth may know there is a God in heaven and on the earth. You, you, you need to understand this. That the whole purpose of the Bible, you think it's just for that Jesus might come to save us. Actually, the purpose of the Bible is for the purpose of the Bible is that people might know who God is. That's what it's all about. But the church is the vehicle for which people might get to know who God is. That's the grand narrative of the Bible. And, and David understood it. Leaders that understand this, understand it's not about them. It's not about their ministry. But about making his name known. That's what it's about. That's why we exist. We're not just here to just have a good time. We're here to make his name known. Passion, when mixed with vision, produces courage. Because you see, once David had got the vision, once he had the passion, he had the courage to go face Goliath. He wasn't trembling. And he was, it says, he was young and handsome and ruddy. That's what it says. He didn't look like a warrior. But he had passion. And that passion with the vision and the purpose of what God wanted 
caused them to have courage. Leaders become courageous once they understand and own God's purpose and will confront obstacles and overcome them. I'm telling you, when passion and vision come together in your heart, whatever obstacle you face, you will overcome it. Because it's about his name, not your name. Second point now. Leaders gather people. Now, I'm moving quickly because there's a lot of information to cover. So I'm just, you're going to have to go back in there and look in at the other bullet points and dig out more. But I'll just give you some overview. So the second one, leaders gather people. 1 Samuel 22, 1 to 2. Now, what had happened with David was that he was the king-elect. Samuel had anointed him king, but Saul wasn't happy about it. In fact, Saul tried to kill him. In fact, David became a fugitive in his own country. So he had to run and hide. So we pick him up at the cave of Adullam. Now David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went to him there. And all those who were in distress, all in debt, or all discontented, gathered around him, and he became their leader. They're a pretty motley bunch. About 400 men were with him. Now, it's an interesting point. I'm going to read the other bit in a minute. This is at the beginning of his, as it were, his time in refuge, in, 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 as a fugitive. Towards the end now, in 1 Samuel 23, 15, we read. Now, David had been chased around the wilderness by Saul. And he gets an opportunity now to, to kill Saul. Uh, no, he, he, he's, he's gets over to kill Saul, but he's there and he's with his men and he said, Oh, I just fancy a drink from Bethlehem, because that's what it's going to say here, and you'll see what happens. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistines' lines, drew the water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. Now, I must have think David must have been shocked. Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of loyalty? It wasn't actually just said, go get me some water. It's like, I just fancy a Fanta. <laughs> That's the gist of it. But he refused to drink it. He said, instead, he said, he pulled it out before the Lord. Far be it for me, O Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty men. And I'm going to just read this. Abashai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zechariah, well, Zuriah, the chief of the three. By the way, when you get these names, just say it confidently, even if it's wrong. <laughs> That's what we were taught that. He raised his spear against the three hundred men whom he killed, and so he became as famous as the three. Was he not held in greater honor than the three? He became their commander, even though he was not included among them. Now, here's the points I want to make. Leaders gather people around them. It's just the way it is. Now you're too far ahead, doesn't matter. It's all right, you're good. Leaders gather people around them. Leaders like David turn group teams, groups of people into a team or an army. David understood what we call the power of the niche. Because you see there, he had these mighty men. And all of the mighty men... He had them in specific roles. He understood the power of the niche. That every, all players have a place where they add the most value. 
So he took them from a rabble to a team where people had specific roles. And if you read through 1 Samuel, or, and 2 Samuel particularly, you'll find that David had his kind of hitmen. These were in the old version of the Bible. When someone needed to be killed, it says, and I say, Joab fell upon him. Which doesn't mean that he kind of like fell down, he killed him. <laughs> David had his hitmen. He had the people that did specific tasks, who he had trained, who were also loyal to him. Leaders develop loyalty, commitment, and confidence in their followers when the vision is clearly cast and articulated. David's men knew the vision. They trusted in him. They were committed to him because they knew where they were going. One of the exciting things about being part of the vineyard here is that we're very clear about our vision. We're very clear about our values. You know, we're changing the services. Why are we doing it? Some of you are thinking, oh, 9.30. Which is fair enough. But really, you've got to understand what we're about. We're about doing everything possible to make his name known and allowing people to come and gather. So we need to make more space. So to change the services means that we can have more people here. More people can get to know about Jesus. So that means we have to change. If you understand a vision, then the next thing is your values will be right. You'll say, okay, yeah, all right, I know it's 9.30, oh, glory to God, but I'll get up and I'll get there. And some of you who who need to help out, and God's poking you and say, come on, help out. Because of the vision that we want to make his name known, you're going to join a team to help out. So those people who are out there who come with their kids to the first or the second service can come in and they can hear about Jesus and they can know him because we make space. You see, vision and values coming together, clearly articulated, and therefore we're committed. And I'm committed to do whatever we need to do to make his name known by whatever means possible. Which means, for those of us who've been around a long time, there is one thing that will be constant, change. Yeah, change. We're always gonna have to make room. And those of you who like to worship for one hour, sorry, it's half an hour. <laughs> you know, those of you who would want to preach your morning, that's us, it's half an hour. Yeah. And that's uncomfortable, but we want to make space for people. We want to make it accessible for people. Leaders draw strength and direction from their relationship with God. Next point. We're going now to 1 Samuel 30. Now, David... And his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Gif and Ziklag. They'd attacked Ziklag and burned it. And had taken captive all the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed. And let me just say here, Ziklag was David's stronghold. He'd been, what had happened, he had been a fugitive, so he actually went to live with the Philistines, and he actually went in there, took Ziklag for himself, and that was their base. They found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. We can take it they were upset. David's two wives had been captured 
Ammonon and Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because, his sons and of, because of his sons and his daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Now, when you're a leader, one of the things we see you have to do is you have to identify with the situation that your people are in. And David identified with the situation and their sense of loss because he lost two, his two wives. But here's the point. David did not take his sense of affirmation from the people. This is where he was different from Saul. Saul needed the people to love him. Here's David now with 400, 600 men, 400, 500 men, and they want to kill him because of the loss. Now, this seriously, seriously tests your security as a leader. Because it's easy to lead when the people are behind you, where there's sun in the sky and everybody's good, everybody's happy, and they understand the vision. But when things go wrong, it's not a good time to be a leader. Read Moses. When Moses was going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, they were like, yeah, come on. Then when he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, things got worse before they got better. And then when they got out, you remember the, 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 the Egyptians came to run them down in the desert. Genesis, I think it's Exodus 14. And if you read it there, you find that the people are not full of faith. I always said I'm sure there were Jamaicans in there because it was like, why you bring us out here? Why it would have been better for us to die in Egypt than come out here to die in the desert? Why did you do this? You know, they were really giving him big licks. And it's the same thing here. They're like, David, why, why do we follow you? It's his fault. But this is, this is how David deals with it. David changed his perspective. What did he do? He encouraged himself in God. He changed his perspective. He remembered that God had delivered him from the bear and the lion and Goliath. He remembered himself. He reminded himself of God's great promises to him. And friends, this is what you do when the going gets tough. A leader digs in and he reminds himself of what God has done in the past. If I had time, I'd develop it. We talk, I talk about raising up an Ebenezer, a rock of weakness. There are things that God has done in your life that you need to hold on to as a leader. So when the going gets tough and when the people speak against you, you don't panic. He did not panic. He held on. So, here's a little point for you. If the leader panics, the sheep vacillate. If the leader panics, the sheep vacillate. They hesitate. It's like you're going over a bridge and it's creaky. And you're in the car, and the children in the back, and it's, and you say, are we going to make it? I don't know. So what's happening? The children are like, oh. no, if you're a leader, you cannot panic. If you panic, the sheep will vacillate. So, what does it tell us about David? He maintained an intimate relationship with God. And when the day of trouble came, his strength was not limited. 
Friends, you know, if you're a leader in here today, one of the things we would encourage you strongly to do is to develop that intimate relationship with God. The time to develop an intimate relationship with God is not when you're in the doo-doo. Yeah? Oh, God! And then, you need, those are good prayers, but you, you, you pray them too, too late. The time for you to have a great relationship with God is now. So when the day of trouble comes, your strength is not limited. Proverbs 24.10 puts it like this. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? I was an athlete. I have to say was because I'm not now. <laughs> and I was a middle sex champion, 800 meters. I used to train six days a week and three times a week, twice a day. And the time that you did the work was in the winter, between October and, let's say, February. And in March, you'd do your speed work, put speed on top of strength and stamina. And then in June, you'd step out in your shorts, man, ready. (laughs) And the guys that had done the training and got themselves mentally fit were ready. But what you couldn't do was chill in October, November, December, January, February, March, and then... When June come, just put on your shorts and burn everybody. It won't work. You wouldn't get past the first bend. In other words, we had to build up the strength and the stamina consistently on an October night. And it's cold and there's frost on the ground and you've got, got to do 10 300s of 30 second recovery. And the last thing you want to do, but you had it. <laughs> yeah? But you know, summers are coming. Because you know that when that Middlesex Championship comes, you're going to be the man. You're going to break through the line. But you've got to do the work in the winter. And what I'm saying to you as a leader is this. That you need to maintain your, your disciplines. Read the word. Pray. Prayer walks. Keep it going. So when the trouble comes, you don't find that your strength is limited. I think you've got the point. 1 Samuel 37. Then David said to... Then what did David do next? Then David said to Abenar, the priest, son of Abimelech, bring me the ephod. Ephod. And Abenar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue them? And what we're going to learn is that the Lord said, yeah, pursue them. So what did we learn here? Simple. He inquired of God. He wanted to get God's perspective and direction on the matter. He wasn't listening to the people. According to John Maxwell, leadership expert, I don't know if you've read any of his books, uh, Power of Leadership, blah, blah, blah. He says this. A leader is called to stand in the gap between between people and God. We must be close enough to people to represent them, their needs and struggles, before God at the same time we must be close enough to God to represent him his answers and direction before the people this is a key balancing act before us and it's true you see in even a congregation like this there are people who are going through trials and difficulties and tests etc and we need to be able to sympathize with them but we also need to be able to go before God and get answers and pray and get the vision Two things, direction and perspective. That's the difference between a leader and a follower. Follower doesn't have perspective. A leader has perspective, sees the big picture and can give direction. 
1 Samuel 30, 18, 23. We're still in the same place. David recovered everything that the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing. Young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else that they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and the herds and his men and drove them ahead of all the livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who had left behind at Baser Ravin. They came out to meet David and the people with him. And as David and his men approached, he greeted them. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, Because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we have recovered. However, each man take his wife and children and go. David replied, "Uh uh-uh. No, my brothers, you must not do what the Lord do what the Lord has given us. We not must do this with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed us to the forces over to us, the forces that came against us. Who will listen to you in what you say? And here's the beautiful thing he says the share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down into the battle. All will share alike. You know what David was doing there? He maintained the unity of the community. This is what he was saying. Everyone adds value. Everyone adds value. Whether you're with the baggage or whether you're in the front line, whether you're a welcomer, whether you're a greeter, whether you're a preacher, whether you're a worship leader, whether you're a life group leader, everyone adds value. Everyone's important. I was saying to Rick, isn't it good that we don't have to do this thing on our own? Everyone adds value. Whether you're up front. And you know, in the final analysis, when we stand before God and have to give an account for that which we've done in the flesh, whether it's good or bad, there are going to be some people who are going to get some big rewards that we've never seen before. We're like, who are they? Well, those are the people that prayed for you secretly, day after day, month after month, week after week. And they received, they did it in private, but God's going to now reward them in public. Everyone has value. Leaders learn how to wait for God's timing. One of the challenges that David had was this. You see that Saul was trying to kill him. And God gave him two opportunities to kill Saul. Here we go. David then asked Abimelech the Hittite and Bushai the son of Zechariah, uh, Zechariah Joab's brother, we will go down in the camp to be, who will go in the camp to, with, to with me to Saul? And Bushai said, I'll go with you. Bushai said to Saul, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear and I won't strike him twice. In other words, here's this guy Saul. Saul's been chasing you around. Now you're, look, he's sleeping. Why don't you just kill him now and get it over with? But David said to Abisha, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed now get the spear and the water jug that, we, that are near his head and let's go. David resisted the temptation to take matters into his own hands. 
You know, there's some of you here, you know, God has put a call on your life and it hasn't happened yet and you're fretting and worrying and you're trying to work it, you know, maneuver and think when it's going to happen. Look, we need to wait God's time and trust him that he will provide the opportunity. You know, Proverbs 18.10 says this. It says, a gift opens the way for the giver and ushers in him, him into the presence of the great. In other words, if God has put something in you and there's a gift and an anointing on you, sooner or later, we will see it. We will see it sooner or later. And if we don't see it, then maybe it's not there yet. Yeah? If you have to go around and canvas, and you have to go around and ask, maybe you ain't ready yet, and maybe it's not there. We need to humble ourselves and allow God to do the exalting. James 4, 6, and 10 says, you know, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and in due time he will exalt you. David understood that principle. That's why he didn't try and make it happen himself, even though he had the call on his life. And you know something? We need to learn to rejoice in other people's success. Ooh, this is a difficult one, you know. You say, what do you mean? Well, supposing you want to you preach or you want to do something that, right, badly and you can't do it, and then your best friend ends up doing it. Are you like, yeah! Yeah? One of the tests of my heart is can I rejoice in other people's success and not feel guilt or feel jealous? It's a good test, isn't it? It's a good test. Particularly if you want to do it and they're doing it. But God has a time for you. You've got to learn to rejoice in other people's success. You need to cheer for them. Just as their hope would cheer for you. We come to our last point. Leaders learn to walk in openness and transparency. We have to go down to this sad passage here in 2 Samuel 11. And let me just make this comment. If you want to look at the life of David, you know... If we take it from 1 Samuel, if you know, take it from 2 Samuel chapter 1, if you from 1 to 10 is the triumphs of David's, chapter 11 is the transgression of David, and chapter 12 to 24 are the trials of David. And here we have a situation where David is at the zenith of his powers, God has given him victory on every hand. Now, he should have gone down to the battle. But he decided to stay home and he sent Joab. So we read what happens. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David didn't. David went, sent Joab and out, out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, is this Bathsheba? Isn't this Bathsheba the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messages to get her. So she came to him and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then he sent her back home. 
the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. Now here's a challenge, friends. There was a disparity between David's private life and his public life. And if you read it, you'll find that everything that he just carried on as normal, and in fact he did quite a wicked thing because he actually got hit, hit, uh, right to come home, made him drunk, sent him down to his missus' house, he wouldn't sleep with her. So he sent the chap with his own death warrant and gave it to him and said, give this to Joab, and Joab put him in the heat of the battle and killed him with the sword of Ammon. You know, some of you are sitting here thinking, well, no, this couldn't happen to me. I said, well, look, I, I beg to differ. 21st century. One of the challenges for leaders, you know, we've been out there, we've been working hard, we've been preaching the gospel, we've been praying for the sick, so we get home, and we're tired, so we want to relax. So what do we do? Uh, we flick on the television. We flick through the channels. And as we're flicking through, there's something pornographic. But instead of us flicking on, we keep on it. And before we know it, we're where we shouldn't be. It's that easy. Being there, know that. So when you look at David, don't think it can't happen to you. It happens, friends. And when we are most vulnerable is when we are most successful. This didn't happen to David when he was down. It was when he was at the zenith of his powers. He that thinketh he stand, take heed lest he fall. In other words, it's when we're successful that we have to be most careful. It's when we're successful that we are most vulnerable. I know that for my own life. And if we don't take time to have proper rest, and we don't have proper accountability relationships, then we can fall in the hole just as easy as David fell in the hole. And remember, David was a man after God's own heart, but he fell in the hole. And you know the thing about it? Of all the things that happen, the thing that I think upset God the most is he did it in secret. I think that if he had come to Nathan, the prophet, and said, look, Nathan, I've messed up real bad, da-da-da-da-da, I think God would have placated some of the things that happened to David. But he kept it quiet. We kind of have a little joke amongst leadership that we don't keep any secret sin because God will send Linda Hall. (laughs) She will get the prophetic word and say, you're the man! So we just get real and get transparent with God. You know, Chris Lane at the leaders meeting in January, January the 12th, 2010, he challenged us as leaders. He said, look, the world's out there is decadent and it's even in the church, but we are called as leaders to be different. Now is the time for leaders, this is what he said, to rise up to be men and women of Issachar. People who understand the times, showing compassion, respect to authority, and a heart for God. And these are the four questions that he left with us. Do my vision and my values match? I've got a, the vision and the values here, you know, we want to make his name known, but we're not happy to change the service times. There's a mis, mis, mismatch there. Does my conduct and character match? Do I really care about people? Do I have compassion? Or is it, I'm right, you're wrong? Do my words and my deeds match? (laughs) 
Is your yes a yes? And your no a no? Are we committed and faithful to our promises? That's integrity, by the way. Is our public and private image consistent? Is what you, you're presenting to people, to others, really you? Are there things that you say in private that if people heard them, they would say, well, really? I didn't know he was like that. These are questions we need to ask ourselves. Last week, Chris gave us five questions. And these are questions you can ask of yourself. You can ask of the prospective MP for your constituency as you vote on the 6th of May. You see, the world focuses on the external. But God focuses on the heart. You can be a leader and have passion. You can be a leader and and gather people. You you can draw your strength from God, from your relationship. You can learn to wait is signing. But if you don't walk in openness and transparency, you're in deep trouble. And what I would say to you is this. One of the things I say is, if stuff's going on in your life, then find someone you can tell tell about it. I've got some accountability guys. When I fall, fall down a hole, I'll ring Steve. Steve Hobson can make my confession and he'll pray for me. That will mean that you will have a transparency and openness. People will see, what they see will be the real deal. Should we stand? Could the band come up, please? Yo, band! Leadership and the call to leadership is a high calling. And often I say to myself, who is worthy for these things? But we have a father and a God who is merciful and he provides grace and mercy for our time of need. I'm going to pray now and then we're going to worship God and then we'll have the notices, then we're going to have a donut, etc. But let's just pray. Father, we want to thank you and bless you for David. We want to thank you for his life. We thank you for his passion for you. We thank you that he was a man after your own heart. Thank you that he was a worshipper. And Lord, what we would ask you, O God, in our lives, is that, Lord, you would help us to have passion for you. Lord, we ask you that you help us to walk in openness and transparency with you. Lord, that you will help us to have that consistency of heart. We, Lord, we pray for our election. We ask your God that for each one of us here in all different constituencies, you will help us to make the right choices about those who would lead us. We look for people of integrity, look for people of honesty, for people of service. Guide us and direct us. And Lord, we ask you to have mercy upon us as a nation. Don't give us the government we deserve. But Lord, in your mercy... We pray that we may have government that has a heart for integrity and righteousness. We ask you that they may have a heart to do what they say. And then, Father, we ask you as a community of people, that as we go out into the community to lead, that you will help us to lead with passion and to lead with integrity. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus.